thank you for this time together. We thank you for the weather and uh, the beauty of winter. We pray that you would uh, be with us this morning as we study your word, that your spirit would move in us, make Christ alive in us, renew our love for and awe of him, that he has lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died, so that in him we're at peace with you, with new hearts that want to please you and obey you because we love you. Because we love you. To Christ's name we pray, amen. This morning we are um, continuing uh, at the foot of the mountain. <coughs> Exodus 19, 16 through 25. Remember last week we went over the two days of preparation that the children of Israel did to meet with God at the foot of Mount Sinai. A couple of ways to pronounce that word, Sinai, which I've never understood, and then Sinai. So we'll go with Sinai because I'm East Texas. Um, they're at the foot of the mountain. They've been spending a couple of days of careful preparation and, and solemn consecration of the whole assembly to meet with God. And they're good, they've been told that they will meet this God who has done these incredible things, the, the ten plagues that we saw in Egypt, the, um, the parting of the Red Sea, the, um, the bringing water out of the rock to uh, keep them in the desert. And they've pledged their loyalty to him already, this eternal loyalty that they have promised. And now they're about to meet him. Let's look at, uh, at 19... 16-25 On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a, and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. All right. When did this meeting begin? When did this all start? On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt. Okay, that's what we got gathered from last time. The third new moon after the people. So three months after they left. Uh in this section, 
When does the me- when does the meeting begin? In the morning, on the third day, after they had consecrated themselves. What scene do you typically expect to see in a morning? The sunrise. The sunrise, brightness, birds are singing, blue skies. What do they wake up to? Thunder and lightning and thick clouds. And a trumpet blast. So God makes an entrance. And it's a big entrance. It ain't natural. And there are three things. You mentioned them. What, what are the three things? Thunders, lightnings. And what do we mean by that when it says plural? What, what do you think? Maybe it continues. It's not just one, but... It's ongoing, or there's multiple? It's a continuing... Did I spell that right? It's a conti- as far as you know, um, it's a continuing succession of these peals of thunder, these these you know th- this huge lightning display. I don't know if you have you ever seen like a, a major lightning storm in East Texas, like out in the country, and, and you can see it roll in from a distance. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I got to watch one one time at the you know the the Black Tower building in the middle of downtown down there. It was up on the the eleventh floor, I think, when I we stopped down there. And, and watch it come in from over I t- I-20 coming in, it was the coolest thing. We just stood there at the window just watching. It was, it was awesome. Um, this is better than that because they're out in it and they're seeing the thing come in. And it's not just coming in, it's coming down, right? So you have this, this lightning, this thunder thing going on, and it's intensifying. It's going again and again, getting louder and louder. And then there's this cloud. What do we know about the cloud? They seen that before? It led them. It led them. They've seen the cloud. What is it a representation of? Glory. <laughs> the glory cloud. Some people call it Shekinah glory of God. The presence of God uh, is 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 symbolized or or manifested in this cloud. What's the third thing you see or hear or is evident? There's this blast, and that's a weird thing because nobody's doing that. And you hear this ram's horn kind of thing going on. The, the word that they use for it in the Hebrew it has, has the connotation of this ram's horn trumpet. Um, Lord of the Rings, second movie, right before they go out for their last ride, and the, and, and the king of, of, of Rohan, you know, let the hammer, blah, 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 come again. And then the, Gimli the dwarf blows the big ram's horn thing, you know, the rah, kind of thing. <laughs> That's... That's kind of the idea here, an announcement of something happening. We have this thing in my, in my in, when I'm driving the kids, when, it, when, it, when, when we're driving down the road, I'll, I'll want to honk at somebody, get mad or whatever, and I'll go, ha, ha, like that. And so the kids behind me, they'll all go, ha, ha, they'll do it in, in echo. It's Antiphony in the car. I'm like, hey, I'm well, I charge 99 cents. A ringtone. Okay. So, you have this thing. This trumpet announces the presence of God coming down on the mountain. He has come to meet the Israelites. And their response is, Woohoo, let's party. Somebody go kill, kill a, a, a goat and let's eat and, and you know, bring out the, uh, the, the, the mead. And let's uh, 
let's uh, let's drink, right? Is that the response? Let's party? Not quite. Not quite. What do they do? They're not giving each other high fives here. They're they're scared. Um, this is a physical. The word here is a physical shaking. It's it's like. Think think of think of your your speech class, your final presentation, and there's like you know 100 kids in your class, and you're giving your and you're this right. Okay, a little more than that, a lot more than that. They're in fear of their for their lives. The same word that's used for the the quaking that goes on here uh, is used again in verse 18, talking about the mountain, the physical trembling of the mountain. They are violently shaking. The, the people are. The mountain actually is a picture of the human heart here. All creation trembles at the appearance of Yahweh. And, and Moses hasn't seen this before either, has he? I mean, we've, we've been with him for a little while. Do we remember anything like this going on with Moses and God before he went to Israel? The, the, the clouds, the lightning, the, the darkness, the, um, the, the shaking. Did, did, did we see that with Moses? No. What do you think is going on in his mind right now? Okay, he's dangerous. He's not a he's he's not a tame lion. <laughs> C.S. Lewis would say. Um, there's there's this is a big deal. Um, some of some have commented though. Oh, Moses was brave. He led them you know straight to no fear in Moses. He goes right to the. I don't think so. And in fact, he says uh, later on in Hebrews, it, it talks about how you know I'm I'm too scared. Don't make me do this thing. You know of, of God. But he knows that it's his job to lead the people to this meeting place with God. And so he, um, he plucks the courage and he does it anyway, right? He does what he knows to do even though he's scared. I'm probably thinking, what now? I mean, the burning bush that was kind of mild in comparison and it, you know, was quite trying for him. Yeah? So now if we have this going on, he's probably thinking, oh, Lord. Yeah, I, <laughs> I hope so. Um, <laughs> he, he is, uh, he's certainly wondering what's going to happen next. Yeah. Um, what happens as they approach the mountain? What do you see? As they're, as they're getting closer to it, what, what happens? Verse 18. What is it? Uh, you see this increasing physical phenomena, this, this violence, this intensity of it. What does, what does Moses compare this to? What kind of imagery does he use? Smoke of a kiln. Have we seen that phrase before? Lo, those many chapters ago. So, somebody said in Egypt. Somebody said, what'd you say? If you said Braveheart, I'm going to hit you. It was worse. In Genesis 19, verse 28. The smoke coming up from Sodom and Gomorrah was compared to the smoke of a kiln. That is the only other place that that imagery is used, of the smoke. What is that to convey? God's wrath? What else? What is it to convey to the people standing at the foot quaking in their boots? Destruction. All that the Lord has said we will do. We're His forever. Is by his grace and mercy. 
because they weren't more holy than you know, than other people who had been destroyed. They weren't more holy than any other people that had been destroyed. Egypt, Sodom and Gomorrah, all of them, you know, met with some severe destruction. But God has said, I've, I've chosen you. I've set you apart. We've already seen that language. Um, and yet, they've entered into covenant with Him. So it's a huge reminder of His presence and power and that He can execute that covenant. His presence, His power, and that He can execute the covenant. His, yeah, his, his, his end of the covenant. Right. And what else? What does this? What does this? Yes. What does this speak to their breaking of a covenant? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a holy God, right? You've entered into covenant with this God. This isn't some made-up Egyptian frog woman. This is God Almighty. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a holy God. This is a sign of judgment. If the people break the covenant, they will face a God of judgment, a God who makes the mountain tremble. Um, And as if this weren't enough, in verse 19, we see this increasingly deafening trumpet sound. Trumpets are usually used in military uh, advancements uh, and also in worship we see later on in in the Old Testament. Uh, and the idea that the, the language is conveying here in verse 19 with the trumpet is that it, it's leading up to a crescendo. Something's about to happen. There's an entrance, there's, a, there's a, a, an escalation of the, of the phenomena going on around. And then while all of this is going on, God and Moses are having a dialogue in front of the people. And somehow they're able to hear it. Right? Think of that in your mind if you can. They're able to hear this talking that God and Moses are having, this, this, this discussion that they're having. And the word that's used here, he spoke to Moses in thunder. Um, the, the word thunder here uh, can, has, is translated, you know, thundering earlier on, but there's a difference between how it's used earlier and in and, and this next verse. And earlier we see it's plural, thunders, Right, and here it's singular. The base word there also is used for voice in Hebrew. So, um, and we see this idea that it's not God just making it thunder every time Moses says something, and somehow it's you know, he's his loud his voice is loud. It's a thundering voice, and and Moses talks about this later on in Deuteronomy four eleven through twelve, where he confirms that God is speaking to them in words. You don't see him. You hear a voice. What's important about that? Why, why is it important to draw that distinction? God reveals himself not in a visual, but in words. His voice speaking. What does that tell us? Okay, his speaking is powerful. He's creator God. It, it, what he says will be. Yeah, it's true. But what does that tell you about his relationship to us? We have faith in things not seen. He's personal. He didn't um, send a carrier pigeon with stuff on stone or on paper or something. He spoke it. 
he took the time and energy to come down and speak it. When a person speaks, what are they doing in, uh, in relation to themselves to someone else? What are they doing? The words you choose to say say something about your heart, right? They reveal something about you. If I have a picture, I'm going to interpret that however I want. Right? Art's interpreted. When God speaks, His choice of words is, is important. He didn't reveal Himself in a, in a, a two-and-a-half-hour DVD. He revealed Himself by the words that He speaks. The, all this stuff going on with nature, that's not God. That's creation's reaction to His presence. He's not in that. That's not who He is. He's not like the gods of the Egyptians where the river is the god, the, the frogs are the god, and whatever. The, the frogs were their god. Um, he's not in that stuff. He, he is, creation reacts to him, and his voice speaks. And Moses will talk about that in, in Deuteronomy. If we, if, if, if we ever get there, it's an amazing passage, but we won't go there today. Look at verse 20. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. What is conveyed by this picture? I'm sorry? Election, okay. Maybe. What is conveyed? God comes down to the top of the mountain. Moses comes up from the bottom of the mountain. He's called up by God from the bottom of the mountain. Where are the people? They're at the bottom. God has to come down from, to get to the top. And Moses is called up to the top. What, is that, what picture is conveyed there? The distinction between man and God. The distinction between man and God. In what way? Through a mediator. Through a mediator. That's the second part of it, Yes. This is a holy God in the presence of an unholy people. Right? Don't touch the mountain. We need a mediator. And the man Moses is called up. Even Moses is at the bottom of the mountain. He's distinct and, and separate from God. It's not. He has to be called up to the mountain. There's a, there's a gulf between a holy God and an unholy people. God descends. He has to condescend to the top of the mountain. Yes, sir. Think about the physicality of the mountain because I climbed a mountain this summer. And um, how how tall is Mount Sinai? I wonder. Like how many elevation? I don't know. I'd get a nosebleed probably going up there. But I'm just thinking Moses is well into his 80s, right? Well, he's probably 80 in at least three months. Okay. And so then he has to climb this mountain where the air is thin. He's got to walk over all these boulders. Mm -hmm. He's got to to go up there. Yeah. I'm wondering. Obviously, it's a great enough distance that at the bottom, you can see around and everything, and you can walk through clouds and smoke. So there's a great enough distance that he's got to break through all yeah. that to get to the top where he can yeah. see. Yeah. Now remember, for him, it's like he's like this is middle age because he goes to 120. And even then, you know, well, he it still says he he had a lot of strength. Even in, God, you let the angels come up and down the 
Well, Elijah hasn't happened yet, so. Uh. Mm. You called him to the top of the mountain. He gave him the strength to get there. Is that what you're going for, Grant? That's not at all, but that's I was trying to give you the benefit there. Of Grant's trying to make you look good. No, that's that's a good point. Um, but he calls uh, someone who is who we would consider weak to be the mediator, and and he gives him the strength to do it. Um, all right. So so Moses goes up to the on the mountain. And, and an odd thing happens. What does God tell him to do? Go down. Go down. Okay. He's 80. He, he's, I'm here. I made it, you know. All right, go down, quick. <laughs> what? Why does he say that? What is he, what is he saying here? What is he saying? Is this something new he has to go down for? He's been warning the people not to touch the mountain already. Why go down again to repeat verses 12 and 13? People are stupid. I heard that comment somewhere. Um, yes, we're sheep. <laughs> sheep are the dumbest creatures on the planet. He chose a couple of things to reiterate what you said before. One, God is so much greater than us that nobody can look on his face and live. And two, they can't touch the mountain and still live. Right. So one, God cares for his people enough to give them warning after warning after warning, don't touch the mountain, don't look at my face. Why would he care for them? They're unholy. He is so far above them. Why would it matter to him if a few of them got knocked off? Well, at least they learned. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a kid, you know, he's about to stick his finger in a light, a light socket or, 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 or an outlet or something, you know. He'll do it once, he won't do it again, you know. Why would he care? His steadfast love endures forever in his creation. And it's his character. If you love someone, you don't want them to walk to the death. Walk to, walk to the death would be a bad thing if you love someone. God is not impersonal. He, he's not um, so transcendent that he does not relate to his people. Do you realize how unique that is in Christianity? No other... Um, religious system on earth has those two facets of deity combined. There's either eminence so much that the earth itself is God. We're God. I'm God. I'm Shirley McLean. You're Shirley McLean. Whatever. We're all God. Or there's transcendence. Allah is a noble. He can change at the drop of a hat. We don't understand him. Everything he does is we would. It's the two extremes. It's one or the other. In the God of the Bible, you have a God who is wholly other, yet present with his people, distinct, and yet dwells among them. And his concern for them, and we see this as this is part of Hebrew literature. This is the repetition of the emphasis that you see. If it's important, they're going to say it again and again and again. So much so that he makes Moses walk down the mountain to say it again. And Moses kind of questions this. I mean, He's, he's calling for the people to have a solemn awe at this event. You know how we trivialize things? You know, by the, by the third kid, eh, it's just another birth, you know. Um, we trivialize things. God goes down, tells Moses to go down the mountain to tell them again, this is an important event. What's going to happen here in a minute? Or a minute? Next, next week. 
Actually, not next week. We'll get to that later. Um, He's going to give them the Ten Commandments. And Israel must recognize the importance of this event. So he says, go down, bear witness against the people. This is literally what it says. Even the grammar underlies the separation between God and the people. And then he talks about the priesthood. Do we have priests yet? Who's he talking about here? Make sure the priests are consecrated. They can't come into my presence without being consecrated. Well, they had set up um, people to oversee different sizes of groups of people. Okay. And I don't think they have priests. I mean, not like they're going to after he gives them the law. Right. Who would they be? Who, who do you think? Ultimately, they will be. But at this point, who would they be? They'd be generally the elders. The elders? Okay. Um, some indication that, that it may be referring to um, the firstborn males who are, who are elder types. Um, Exodus 13 kind of gives that idea. The, the language of break out against the priests, verse 22, is the same language that, that's used of Uzzah. Remember whenever he tried to catch the falling ark and he was struck by the Lord? Same kind of thing. The Lord broke out against him. So Moses objects to this repetition of verse 23. He, he, the commandment, you've already said that they can't go up. So God, oh yeah, I said that already, didn't I? Sorry about that. I tend to repeat myself being God and all and kind of get confused on things. What does he say to him? He just repeats himself. He, he repeats himself in what way? You can't really get it. If you've got an ESV, it doesn't really bring it out. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up. In the Hebrew, that's a, that's a stern command. Don't question me. Go down. Go, go down is what it says. It's repeating the, 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 the imperative ver- uh, of Go. Warn the people, lest they break through the Lord and look, on, uh, and look, and many of them perish. Let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. I wonder if he's a little tired here, <laughs> having just come up the mountain. I don't think that was the wisest move by Moses, frankly. Go down and come up. So he's got to go down and come right back up and bring Aaron with you. He sternly overrules Moses' objection, and it's an urgent message to the people, do as God commands, or what? Or die. Consequences of violating God's command here, of being in His presence in an unworthy and unwelcome way, is death. But don't you think Moses said it pretty sternly by the time he got down the mountain, because he's like, don't make me come down here again. That's don't what he's make saying. Me come back there. And so only Aaron is allowed to return with Moses. And we see that Aaron goes up, but only infrequently with Moses um, later on. He's going to be the first high priest, right? Yes. So this is like him going into the whole thing. Very much so. Very much so. And also, I was going to say, God has to tell Moses to keep telling the people. It shows the. I'm so glad you brought that up. We looked over this last week. I think it bears looking at it again. Turn to Hebrews 12. 
starting verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. They were trembling from the thundering voice of God. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. And in Deuteronomy, uh, later on, in, uh, I think in, in uh, I want to say, 12, he talks about his fear of being in the mountain with God. Uh, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Forget John Edwards to Americas. Uh, Political mythology uh, at work. There are two mountains we see in the Bible. There's Mount Sinai, where you are under covenant from birth with a holy God. Whose presence you can't be in, you can't touch, or he'll break out against you like he did us. There's that mountain, the mountain of the law, where God is awesome, overwhelming, holy other, distinct, separate. There's a huge gulf between us. There's another mountain, Mount Zion. Christ, God manifested in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16, who dwelt among us, John 1.14, in whom the fullness of God dwelt, Colossians 1.9, and who, in this Hebrews passage we see, is the mediator of a new and better covenant. Through the law, through our working to be made perfect, our working and our expectation that if we do this, God should do this. Kind of the prosperity gospel light. Through the law, there is judgment. You can't do it. I mean, these commands that God's going to give aren't to say, hey, you have this in you to do. That's not the purpose of the commands. The purpose of the commands is to do what it's doing to the Israelites right there, is make them tremble. I can't do this. He's so far above me. It's impossible, and living at the foot of Mount Sinai will be the death of you. There's a, there's a part in Pilgrim's Progress where he's on his journey. He hasn't hit the wicked gate yet. Wicked gate, not wicked gate. Wicked gate. Um, and and uh, was it Mr. Legalist, I think, or Mr. Worldly Wise Man, that's who it is, yeah, meets him on the road and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm going to the wicked gate. And uh, I'm, I'm going to lay my burden down. And he says, well, why are, you, why are you wasting your time with that? 
come on over here and visit my cousin, Mr. Legalist, and go to, you know, Sinai, whatever the place is, the, where, um, where he tries to uh, approach the mountain to, to learn to be holy, and he can be holy. And it says, and, and as he got closer to the mountain, the mountain rose higher and looked and bent over him as if it were about to crush him. And he cried out and trembled and all this kind of stuff. And then evangelists came and said, what are you doing here? Didn't I tell you to stay on this road toward the wicked gate, toward the cross? Well, this guy told me this would work. All world religions point you to Sinai in some form or another. They all point you to, you can do it. Through your achievement, you can make it. You can be right with the deity. Yes? The, I think the analogy of prayer, I think, comes out here because Moses, in order at this time to go talk with God, he didn't have the Holy Spirit. So he had to ascend to where God was, which was at the tip-top of Mount Sinai. So he ascends so that he can speak with God. Then he comes down and brings Moses. And it makes me thankful because we have the priesthood of the believer today. Mm -hmm. We don't have to climb a mountain. We don't have to travel halfway across the globe to go to Jerusalem or the temple or wherever. Mm -hmm. We can kneel down and we can pray all the time ascending the mountain mm -hmm. and talk with God. And so Moses goes up the mountain, talks with God, gets his instructions as to what he needs to do, and then he comes back down and does it. And that's, that's an analogy to prayer. Mm -hmm. It's a better covenant that we have. That we have today. Because in Christ, um, we have um, we can boldly enter the throne of grace. We can we can be at the foot of Zion. Either we're crushed under the weight of Sinai, like Christian was threatened to be, or we'll be broken at the foot of Mount Zion, the throne of grace. Those are our, those are our options. It's an amazing thing. The Bible is very black and white. There there aren't I can't really think of any major gray areas. I mean, there's some, some areas of, of sanctification that are, that are discernment and wisdom and fact-specific, but salvation itself is very black and white. You, there, are two, there are two choices. You'll be crushed by Mount Sinai or be broken at the foot of Mount Zion. Those are the options. And you won't hear that in the world? No. Well, it's not that easy. Everything's not black and white. Yeah. yeah it, is. It, it really is. And... and you know, Revelation has a very distinct picture of that. Light, dark, death, life. Um, all of the Bible is that way. Jesus talked that way, very black and white. And here is a clear distinction. They're about to get the law, and the law acts as a crushing agent to show us our need for Jesus. Can I read a bit from Hebrews 10? Sure, absolutely. Hebrews 10 where? Sacrifices which can never take away sin, but when Christ had offered up 
uh, for all time, a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for them, waiting uh, from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his seat, for by a single offering he has perfected for all uh, time those who would be sanctified. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, and then again 11 through 14, points to the differences in the covenants. There, there, is, a, um, there is a trend I think we have in the church to um, trivialize the character of God and who he is. And I think going over, um, reminding ourselves of who we are before Him apart from Christ, like the Israelites were in front of the mountain, is healthy. <laughs> um, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Jesus is not your homeboy. <laughs> Don't buy the shirt. Uh, John Calvin, maybe. Jesus is not your, your homeboy. Um, there are pictures of Christ where He is shown to be glorified that causes the Apostle John to fall on his face is one dead. The, the, the awe of the glorified Christ is every bit as tremble-worthy as the awe of God on the mountain. I would argue that they're the same person of the Trinity, but that's another story. Go ahead. And we were talking about prayer, and that's a reminder that in prayer you're going into the Holy of Holies before the throne of God, the mercy seat, so you shouldn't just go to him flippantly. You should be washed by the water of the word mm-hmm. and in his spirit. That's the only way you can approach him. Rightly. Through, in the spirit, through his word, being washed by the word. Good. Any other, any other comments? Thanks for joining us today. I'm still milling over the two mountains and how uh-huh. it relates to prayer and how that relates here and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of times, especially growing up, I would always pray legalistically. You know, pray for the law. God, uh, show me uh, what I'm doing wrong or something, which is a good prayer. Mm-hmm. Anything, but um, I think trying to, to find out Mount Zion, trying to look for grace, mm-hmm. look for love, Praying those things, you know, it's not Old Testament. Thank you, God, that I am of Abraham and all this mm-hmm. stuff. But God, give me the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, whatever is is noble and good and righteous and stuff, mm-hmm. think on these things, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So I'm I'm kind of looking at the difference between the mountains. Yeah, I think Tammy prays that whatever is thurple. thurple. Don't you? That's her little anacronym for. She's, she's really into purple. Think purple. Think purple, think right. All right. But I think what you're saying is good because if you pray that way, you're praying for God to, to change your heart and transform you from the inside, which will be reflected in what you do. Yeah. Be reflected in your actions rather than just praying for right action without really praying for that, that deep uh, change of heart. Yeah, so an inward change of heart, not an exterior change of uh, behavior. Of behavior, right. We've uh, we've read some parenting books where they say a lot of parents are just trying to train your kids to be good little boys and girls. But that's, 
just treating them for a right behavior when really they're grumbling in their heart and you can see them glaring in their eyes, but they're doing what you told them to do. They're doing the right behavior, but with a with a wrong heart. That's not what you want. You want to get to their heart. And you want them to love the Lord themselves so that he's working on their heart. And it's, you know, it's the same for us. It's not the behavior that matters. It's why we do the behavior. So it's the second level of analysis. Where is it coming from? What is coming out of the heart? Why am I speaking this? It's because it's in my heart. So... Okay, good. Well, it's uh, 10-10, which uh, isn't bad. 10-10-10. Let's pray. God, what a gift we have to be able to approach you with boldness in Christ to know that you hear our prayers. That we are judged to be holy before you because of Christ. What an amazing gift. Father, I pray that you make us, give us hearts that, that don't treat that trivially that we not minimize the amazing cost to you to grant us that great privilege. Thank you for the new birth that though we may tremble in awe of your being holy other, we are comforted by the fact that we are, because of what Christ has done, born of God so that your spirit moves in us, works in us, transforms us moment by moment, sometimes to us very slowly, but progressively into the image of Jesus. We want to look like him. We want to act like him. We want to be um, righteous men made perfect. And we thank you for the promise of that in your son. I pray that as we go into the main service this morning that you be with Philip as he preaches. Remind us, Father, that you relate to us through your word. Not through pictures, not through even music, but you relate to us through the spoken word, causing our minds to think and ponder and chew on what you've said. That's the way you've made us relate to you. You've created us that way. Help us to do that rightly. We thank you for this church, for this group. Thank you what you're doing in these young adults here. I pray that you continue to grow them in grace. Draw them to each other and let them love each other as unto the Lord. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you.